Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Dr. Merritt Seymour, The Urgency of Knowing. This was recorded on February the 2nd, 2021. Ladies, we have a wonderful guest with us on today as we're kicking off um, Black History Month. And we want to say this to our audience. Thank all of you all who are joining in with us. Like, tag, and share. Come on, tag some other people. Get them in into this broadcast. Share this with it. Like it. Come on, come on. Help us um, with that part. We wanted to do something a little different uh, this month. And so we put all of our wonderful, brilliant minds together uh, to look at what we would do with this month and for next month. And so this month, as we know, we honor Black history. And so timely wisdom in this month that our four guests, each of the Tuesdays this month, are male, are male. They are men. Um, they're brilliant men. Um, who have paved the way, um, who um, they've made tremendous impact. And so um, we're excited about what it is that we have um, with um, with us this month. So kicking off this phenomenal, phenomenal group of men that we have with us is Dr. Merritt Seymour. Um, he is an advocate of self-improvement at any age and any situation. He earned, he earned, he did not, per, he earned, um, let me just stay focused. He earned a Bachelor of Science degree in elementary education and a Master of Education degree in administration leadership, respectfully from the, as he likes to say, Prairie View A&M University of Texas. He also earned a Doctor of Philosophy in Organizational Leadership from North Central University of Arizona. And listen to this, his dissertation topic was the impact of a pastor's education on the growth of a CME church. Do y'all hear that? Yes, the impact of a pastor's education, education on the growth of the CME church. On the local, state, and national levels, um, he's used vision, organization, and practicality to train and improve the performance of churches, educational agencies, and other nonprofit organizations throughout the country. He is an experienced organizational capacity strategist and trainer. In addition to leadership and ministry development work, he works with local ministries. And he has been the feature facilitator for workshops on the regional and national levels. Listen to this as well, because we talk about there's often a lack in this place. A seasoned educator and public school administrator, he has worked in schools, educational organizations and institutions in Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, Maryland, California, and Missouri. He is the immediate past dean of education at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. He also founded the Academy for Men of Color in Education at Lincoln. And this program that he founded was designed to attract, support, and graduate well-prepared male educators to serve urban school districts urban school uh, districts um, and systems as teachers, leaders, and advocates for equity. And so um, he's developed the E3 holistic development model for the males of color. 
He is also the Dean of Leadership Development and Director of Christian Education for the 3rd Episcopal District of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. He's a leadership coach. He's a strategic planner. He's a facilitator. He's a ministry evaluator. My goodness, he's the founder of Morsey Foundation, whose signature program is I've Got Shoulders. He's a member of the Kappa Delta Pi and International Honor Society for Educators. He's a member of the 100 Black Men of the America. He is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. He is a proud father of two adult sons, Merritt II and Johnson Alexander, and he lives by the mission of being an ambassador of vision, uniquely molded to glorify God and equipped to edify his people. Come on, y'all. Welcome, if you would, on today, Dr. Seymour, our guest with us on today. Hello, 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 Dr. Seymour. Hello, ladies. Hello. Thank you. Thank you you so much for having me. Um, It is my honor and my pleasure to be a part of you today, especially to be the first one, uh, the first guest for 2021 Black History Month. <laughs> Thank you so very much. I know I'm staring up the nest. I know. I know I'm staring up the nest. <laughs> content for next month. That, that's, that's what I'm right. <laughs> yeah, but, but again, it is, it, I am humbled and it is my joy to be with you. Um, as I've tuned into other ep- episodes, I am just impressed with the way that smart intelligent black women get together and soundly dialogue about the crisis that impact our world. And so I'm honored to be a part of you today. Wow. It's so wonderful um, to to have you with us. Before we kind of jump into the what it is we're about um, on today, kind of just tell us um, a, a little bit about your journey, your family, what it what it is that you would like us to know and to make sure that we understood about you. So, so I'll start with this statement so that in case I get lost somewhere, that I'm, a, I'm still a work in progress. Um, um, but if, if anyone asked, you know, what is my story? Um, I, I didn't grow up uh, where my family was all educated. And in fact, my grandfather was uh, blessed to get a third grade education in rural Louisiana. Um, I didn't grow up um, on the green side of the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up where, you know, we learned to handle business in the community a certain kind of way. Um, um, but in that, there were still expectations. Um, there were standards established. Um, because of my grandfather and his work ethic, uh, second wasn't good enough. Okay wasn't good enough. And my cousins and I, we talk about how we never could uh, respond to his questions with, I don't know. It was always, you better find out and find out quick. <laughs> um, but, but I come from a, a, a solid Christian background. Um, I am fourth generation Baptist, um, and I'm the one that went to uh, the other church. Um, but um, uh, our family is a, is a loving family. And let me put a pin right there. We are a loving black family. You read between the lines now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're we're one of those bunches where we might have some disagreements, but don't come from the outside. 
mm-hmm. because we might all, <laughs> we might all turn on you on, at one time. Um, but I, I'm an advocate of education. I didn't get where I am because of my own. Um, God placed people in my life mm-hmm. to fill the empty spaces with a purpose. Um, and I believe that it is not my job to keep going forward, but it's my job to reach back um, and share my experiences with, with others. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. Um, I have his book. I'm going to change. I put myself up just for a second. His book. And um, you all see this. You see this book. Um, it's the Urgency of Knowing. The Urgency of Knowing by Dr. Seymour. And he has 10 things every black man should know. And so um, when we saw this book and, and we were looking at who our guests would be, we said, oh, wow, we, we need to hear some conversation about this book, The Urgency of Knowing, 10 things, 10 things. And so we're really excited. Um, I appreciate it. It was it was it was it was an easy read. It was you know, it's full of information, but it's an easy read. So um, I'm I know my co-hosts have questions for you in this. And, and so just tell us. Um, how did you get come about in writing this book? And then I'm going to put myself on mute and, and hear and listen from my co-host. Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to to share. When, when as you mentioned, um, I was a former dean of, school, of education at Lincoln University. And upon me going to the institution, um, I was actually leaving the traditional pastorate. Um, and I didn't understand, okay, God, what's this all about, you know? This old pastor thing, leaving, going to university. Uh, when I arrived there, I re- quickly realized that um, I was just changing pulpits and I was changing congregations, but the work and the principles were still the same. Um, in my tenure there, I was assigned to um, to support young men of color, black men who were like me, first generation, who came to the institution to major in some area of education, but historically men of color were not graduating. Well, let me back up. They were applying to the education program, but they weren't being accepted. They were, uh, those that were accepted were not graduating. And so my job was to help them get into a program and through a program and employed. Because for us, education for our community means uh, mobility. It means stability. It means uh, being able to contribute back. And so the, and the idea was not just to graduate, but to be placed in an area where you could make an impact. And so in, in mentoring these young men, nearly uh, 25 initially, but over 100 before I left the institution, um, I learned that many of the guys had come to the institution just not knowing some basic things, just basic. They were there like I was. My parents got me to the gate and expected me to get an education in whatever college was supposed to do. Um, um, and I learned that there were just some things that, that someone had not said, someone had not done on their behalf that would equip them. And, and for us and, and many, uh, what we don't know can and will hurt us. And what we don't know many times will be used against us. And so I was just driven to to script some things that I thought they should know. Something as basic as, you know, how to dress uh, for a particular uh, situation. You know, uh, Jordans are cool, but they're not appropriate for everything. 
um, how, you know, what to say when, when the dean calls you to his or her office. You know, what's up is okay for our buddies, but it's not okay in every situation. And I learned that, like me, they, they had the right intentions, but just didn't have the right information to be successful in that space. And, and I believe that it was my charge to equip them with as much as I could to be successful in that space and use that and transfer that knowledge into the career space. So I started writing. And before um, I could publish these quick little 10 things and hand them out to my mentees, uh, God quickened me real fast. Like, yeah, this is good. You were supposed to write this book some years ago, but I've now called you to write it. But before I could finish writing the book, um, I was challenged to look at some things within myself that I thought I had overcome over life, over my lifetime. When in reality, there were many things that I suppressed. And so the book starts out with getting your head right, getting the mindset um, I had convinced myself that I had been healed of a lot of things that I had encountered uh, as a young black man growing growing up in in, uh, in Southeast Texas. I've convinced myself that, oh, because I had attained this and I attained that and I attained that, that it overrode everything else that I had not really addressed. And so during uh, last summer, um, of June of last summer, I was stricken with COVID. And in that moment, COVID-19, and in that moment, uh, God quickened me to say, do not leave this season empty-handed. I'll say that part again. Do not leave this season empty-handed. I had gone through transitions in ministry before several times that didn't make sense to the rest of the world, but you all can understand when it is your calling, you've got to respond. And so during this time, um, God made me sit in it, literally sit in it. What have you not addressed yet? Because what you address is going to change lives of those who read this book. Understand that you can't write this book in, in such lofty language that Bubba can't understand it, that Leroy cannot finish the book reading. Undertake what you know about you and other black men and put this together. And, and with the help of my publisher, uh, we were able to put this, this work together. And as a result, we have 10 things every black man should know. Now, let me say this. This does not uh, uh, devalue what black women should know. It doesn't devalue what other men should know. I'm just a black man who's had black man experiences, and I want to share them with other black men. The intent is to retool ourselves, not with information that someone else said about us, but with information that we should know about ourselves for ourselves. If by chance a black mother who is reading this book, rearing a black son, and reads this book and picks up a way to have a conversation with him, to God be the glory. If a, a man of another culture who's endured colorism, racism, otherism, if they gain from this work, to God be, be the glory. But the idea is for black men to step back, 
take a look at who am I? Not who they say I am, but who have I been designed to be and how do I get there? Dr. Seymour, I'm about to burst at the seams. I, I know that we have some wonderful questions for you, but as you're talking, I just have to ask, I'm listening to you talk about the education piece. Are you by chance a part of the William J. Seymour lineage, founder of the Pentecostal holiness movement? <laughs> I've been asked that all of my life. and and unfortunately slash fortunately, there is no, there is no tie. <laughs> My, well, as you're talking, I, I think about his, his story, uh, wanting to learn so desperately, but being forced to sit outside of the classroom by the door to get his education, but later demanding and carrying such a weighted anointing, he had to go into services with a box on his head so that he could just stay focused on what it was that God wanted him to do. So that that's my question. Thank you so much. Well, I guess I, it's kind of silent here. I'll go ahead. Um, <laughs> thank you. I, I connect with you on several, several. Uh, I'm, I'm in education. Uh, I'm an alpha, uh, <laughs> which I had to say for my sisters. Um, could not, could not go by that. Um, so I, I, I appreciate your work. Uh, uh, I too like to work with folk that want to look at their hearts because it is a growing process and a never ending process. We never get over some of the wounds in our lives. So it's a process that we have to continue to attend to. So I really appreciate your talking uh, about that and would like for you to share a little bit more about moving from mind to heart. Sure. Sure. So if you if if you think about it, you know, um, all of our thoughts, all of our actions and our responses um, come from a place within our hearts. The way we feel about something impacts how we respond to it. And so when we talk about this whole uh, from uh, mind to heart, especially for for black men, a lot of times there's a lot going on in our minds, whether we put it there or someone else that we have to deal with. And instead of our behaviors coming from our heart, what's in our head has now infiltrated our heart and we then react from that space. And it's important that we understand that everything that is that has been placed in our head that has moved its way to our hearts is not the way it was designed. And I speak in the book about, you know, black man versus black man. We were not designed to be each other's enemy. We were designed to live together in, in harmony. But forces from the outside, experiences throughout time have gotten into our head and we've heard certain languages that says you are better than, you are more than, they don't like you because whatever. And our hearts 
have embraced that and now we respond to it. And so it is important for us to understand that we've, we've got to, we've got to re, reprogram ourselves. We've got to reset our minds about who we are and, and whose we are. Imagine if 50% more Black men understood how brilliant they were versus how aimed they are at prison, how well we, how further along we, we would be. And so a lot of it has to do with resetting our minds, not based on what someone else says, but what does God say? What does our culture say? What does our history say who we are? If you think about it, who's highlighting black museums? Who's highlighting black authors? Who's highlighting black places of interest that speak to who I am as a black man? I have to go and find those. And if someone doesn't tell me that they exist, I might never look. Instead, I have to rely on what media and social media says. And that's not always good. And if that gets into my mind, then it's going to infiltrate my heart. So we've got to, we've got, we've got to reverse that and, and, and stop thinking about what we're not, but what we are. Mm. Wow. Well, thank, um, I see that um, one of our viewers has asked if you could um, to say where they, they're able to purchase your book from. And while you're doing that, I want to um, kind of get to one of the question, one of the chapters in the book yes. um, is your chapter three. And it says um, and, and the title of it is know when to stand up and when to stand down. OK, the title. Y'all hear that? The title is know when to stand up and when to stand down. So come on, elaborate yeah. on, on so, that. Okay. So so first of all, a, a, a cheap plug, you can get an autographed copy of this, of this work from drseymour.com, drseymour.com, and Black History Month by Black, okay? Oh, but it is also available on Amazon. You can get the book on Amazon. Let me say that again, drseymour.com. Dot com Black History Month by, by Black. Okay, now um, to to answer your uh, to answer your question or speak to this whole idea of when to stand up and when to stand down. One of the issues that I have had to deal with as a Black man growing up in uh, America is this whole idea of conflict. And again, I, I just believe that we quote unquote drank the Kool Aid that Willie Lynch stirred up, right? And I believe that. We were told that we've got to be at odds with each other. And, and sometimes someone forgot to tell all of us that sometimes it's better to keep your mouth closed and then to open it. Someone didn't tell all of us, listen to understand, not listen to waiting on my turn to speak. Uh, listen to, to uh, what that person is saying and what they're not saying, and how can I under how can I understand that? And so when we talk about this knowing when to stand up and when to stand down, if you think about what's going on, what's going on in the last couple summers for sure, that's now been caught on camera, but has always gone on in our community. Um, we've always had this issue with authority. And, and I want to say 99.9% of it is justified, our, our issues with authority. Um, but, but for the sake of the book, in the book we talk about, you've got to know what your rights are. Many times you, I, I hear young people saying, uh, uh, oh, I know my rights. And we really don't know our rights. 
we don't know that the laws were written a certain way that diminish your rights. So you've got to make sure that you understand what your right is. And, 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 and the way my mama would put it, uh, you have in my house, you have a right to live and breathe. That's the end of your rights right there. If you obey those rules, you have the right to live another day. I got it. But then also in the book, we talk about our response, our responsibility. Many of us have influence on, uh, on other people, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Our thoughts, words, and deeds influence others. And so when it comes to this whole idea of, of knowing when to stand up, stand down, we've got to know what that, how that will influence someone else. And in the book, I talk about a couple situations where, you know, I was an authority. But I had to be careful about how I responded to certain individuals because of how others around were going to receive that. I had to be very conscious of my responsibility as the authority figure of, of do I check someone, do I pull rank on them, or do I show them grace and mercy? Um, and then in the book, we also talk about uh, respecting. You know, we have rights. And we have responsibilities, but none of those rights and responsibilities are supposed to overpower respecting someone else. I'll say that again. Your rights, my rights are never supposed to disrespect someone else. When it comes to, to black men, again, we don't necessarily know that we need to check the consequences. Of, of saying I'm in charge or I know my rights. We don't necessarily pay attention to, to our responsibility to the community, to the village, to respond in a certain way. If I show up with my fist or, or when I show up with my 38 or, or my blade in my pocket and I pull it out and use it, did I make the right choice? Am I teaching the next young man how to handle the situation? So we've got to be careful about that. There is a time to stand up for your rights. There's also a way to stand up for your rights. Um, and, but then there are many times where it's probably best to step back and stand down to understand what's going on. And for Black men, again, we've had to deal with so many things that we feel like all we can do is just... Uh, have these outcries or these bursts of, of anxiety, not realizing the consequences of it. And so that chapter talks about knowing the difference. Wow. You talk about in chapter four, um, communication. And men and women um, communicate differently. And you also talk about conflict. Um, explain how one should communicate clearly to resolve conflict because you just talked about conflict. I guess that's kind of twofold. How do men communicate differently um, than women and explain how one should communicate clearly um, sure. to resolve conflict? Sure. So, so as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times um, we, it's important for us to, to listen, to understand versus listening to wait on our turn to speak or just not listening at all. Um, for men, a lot of times, again, because we've had to, to fight everything and everyone, if you will, for whatever reason, at whatever level, a lot of times 
we communicate with what's in our head uh, sometimes. What I think and what I feel right now oftentimes comes out. And according to me, it came out right. But it's important even for men to understand that there's a different perspective. Um, and in order to be understood, we've got to first learn to understand. Um, the, the Bible even speaks of if I want a friend, I first have to be a friend. I've got to demonstrate what it is that I see. And, and so if I want to be understood, um, then I've got to understand how to communicate. I've got to understand how does another uh, someone communicate. And here's what I mean by that. Every culture has its way of communicating. You know, if you walk into my mother's house right now and start talking, you know, a certain way, and everybody's been at work all day, they're all going to look at you. What are you talking about? Because there's a certain accepted communication style um, at a certain time in, in, within my family. Well, men are make up a certain culture. And so we have a way of communicating. I'll take it a step further. Black men, we're another culture all within itself. And we communicate a certain way. And it's important not for us to just understand how we communicate, but it's also important for us to understand how others communicate. And I share with my, with my students, especially the men, the, the young men that I mentor, consider yourself bilingual, that you speak the black man's language, you speak man's language, and then you speak everyone else's language. And that is not a deficit. That is an asset. Sometimes, listen, where I grew up, you had to be able to understand the code to survive. And if you couldn't understand the code to survive, you might not make it to see another day. Well, if I took one of my friends from another culture into my community, we're going to have to rely on my ability to speak that language, to communicate that way, right? The same when it comes to men and, and women. If I am going to effectively communicate to women or other communities, I've got to understand how they accept information, how they communicate as well. And I'll be the first to admit, I had so many life lessons to learn about communicating uh, with a spouse early in, in marriage or while, while I was there, while I was married. Um, th those lessons just kept coming every day, <laughs> every day. This is how you communicate to your wife. This is how you communicate to your mother-in-law. This is how, you know, um, because as a, as, a, as a single man, I didn't have to, I didn't have to understand other, other than understanding mama said, that was it. But for men, when it comes to communicating, we've got to make sure that we are communicating clear language. We've got to make sure that we are, are saying what we mean and mean what we say. But then we've got to learn how to choose our words carefully. And a lot of times I've been very guilty of, of saying something that I couldn't pull back. And once you put that, put words out in the atmosphere, the atmosphere is triggered to respond to what you're, what you're saying. And, and so when it comes to men, the question was, how do they communicate differently? Sometimes we're in our head and what's in our head comes out of our mouth versus what's in our heart <laughs> coming out of, out of our mouth. That's awesome. Awesome. Wow. Um, I, I, 
I, I want you, I guess, just, 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 just on this. You said so. What's in your head comes out of your mouth, but then you also say you got to say what you mean and mean what you say. I, 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 <laughs> she said, "No, <laughs> no, no, no." So, so in the book, I talk about an example that my godfather, uh, when I went off to college, um, I, I, I asked him for some money. You know. I had overspent my uh, my uh, allowance for the month and the group was going, they were traveling and I wanted to go. And I said, I asked, uh, would you lend me some money? He says, yes, I'll lend you some money. He goes into his pocket, he takes out some of money and I walk off or I attempt to walk off. And he says, so when are you gonna pay me back? And I turn and I look to say, pay you back. What? What? Oh, Papa, pay you back? He says, yeah, you asked me to loan you some money. When someone is lent money, the intention is to pay the money back. And for a moment, option one, remember that know when to stand up, when to stand down? Um, option one, argue the point. Option two, understand he's the authority figure and I might have to travel that bridge again. And so from then on, I learned the importance of if I say that I'm going to do something, I have to stick to my word, do my absolute best to do it. I'll be man enough to say that I can't. If I commit to something, whether it's by word or deed, then it's my responsibility to follow it, it through. That's a kingdom principle. Uh, that's my responsibility as a man in the village or a man that represents the village. It is my responsibility to, uh, as the Bible says, let my yeas be yeas and my nays be, be nays. If I can't be very man of standing on two flat feet and say, no, I can't or no, I won't uh, do something. Um, um, but again, we have, as men, we have to learn that it is okay to say what you mean. It's just how you say it. Dr. Seymour, you keep talking about this. Um this village. And we have often found, or it seems that we go outside of the village to get what we need. And right before the broadcast, you talked about cooling water. Talk to us about this cooling water and how we, how we need to stay in our village to get the cooling water to get healed. So if you think about it, um, culturally, we've, always been built up who we are uh, for who we are from within whether it was you know through big mama whether it was miss smith next door whether it was uncle bubba you know we were built from within no one outside of the house had to tell us how great we were uh, how good we were but somewhere in our so so that was our healing space when things went wrong in the world, we could always come home and home was going to heal us. Well, somewhere in time, we started seeking that healing in other places. And we, we found ourselves in other spaces that don't heal us the way home heals us, the way the village, the way the community heals us, speaks the language that our heart needs to hear. And so um, I, I remember uh, listening to a speaker refer to this as seeking the cooling water 
outside the village. And you, we found that all of the water outside of the village, while it was water, it wasn't the water that heals us. It wasn't that refreshing water that makes it makes it comfortable for us to be vulnerable mm-hmm. in, in our healing time. And so uh, a lot of the work that is within this book constantly refers us back to where we started. And if you think about it, I mentioned in the book about the, the Maasai tribe of, of South Africa, of, of Africa, where young men, and I think we talked about this pre, uh, pre-broadcast, but young men would literally mimic their behavior after the warriors. And the Maasai tribe was known for being uh, warriors that wiped everyone out. They became known as a fierce uh, warring tribe, but the young men looked up to them. Uh, Here's how to become a warrior. And it was a practice uh, then that at a certain time, a young man was given a spear and he was to go out and kill a lion. And if he could kill a lion, he had to bring his head back as evidence. Well, clearly, if the young man didn't kill the lion, the lion probably killed the young man. But it, the point was they, they got their training, they, their confidence within the village. At a certain time, a young man is taken away from the family and told and taught who he is and what his responsibilities are. That kind of stuff came from within the village. It didn't come from another country. It didn't come from any Western Western world, Western hemisphere. It came from within. Who are you? What are you able to do? What's expected of you? That came from within. And so when we talk about this healing water, the idea is that individuals from our culture, especially black men, the way that we find out who we are and what we are to be in the world, we've got to go back to our healing water. Brothers that were ahead of us, who didn't make all of the right steps, who made some mistakes, but they didn't stay down. They got a uh, brothers and, and men of the village who says, this is what a man should do. Here are your responsibilities. Here are the expectations. Now you craft out your identity from, from this. And so this is what this is what I mean by, by the healing water. Dr. Seymour, um, thank you so much. Um, you said two words that have just con- constantly been in my heart as you spoke. And one of them is how we resist authority as as black people uh, and sometimes having a right to that. Uh, And the other is vulnerability. So our resistance and issues with authority, I believe have some roots in our resistance to be vulnerable. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Well, sure. So this whole idea about being vulnerable, if you think about it, um, I can't I can't talk about how to be a black female, uh, but I can talk about being a black male. And culturally. We have been trained that a strong man does not cry, doesn't show emotion and he doesn't back down. And unfortunately, as a result of that training, um, a lot of us have made some bad mistakes. We've said some things that we should not have said. I've done some things that we we could have made better decisions. But hear me well. I don't criticize my ancestors 
because they taught what they knew. I believe that the, the subtle influence of other ways of doing things began to influence what we were saying to our next generation and our, our next uh, generation of men and even, even women. When it comes to this whole idea of being vulnerable, I believe, and I'll go back to this village thing again, I believe that the, the, the design of the village is a safe space to be vulnerable. But somewhere someone told us that the village was not safe. Somewhere someone calls us to believe that, that you cannot show your true feelings within the village when reality is the village is the safe space, that it is okay to be vulnerable. And if you're not careful, as I mentioned my family uh, uh, at the top of the broadcast, if you're careful enough when you need to be vulnerable, it was practice of the village to encamp you so that others who might take advantage of your being vulnerable couldn't get to you. And so I believe that this is a time where we revisit our responsibility to the village and the village's responsibility to us. When we find that, we will find that, oh gosh, I am my brother's keeper and my brother is my keeper. Oh, there's no spite between my sister and I. Oh, someone got this part of the story wrong. Because the truth is, in the village, that's where I'm supposed to take my vulnerabilities. That's where I am going to get checked when I stepped wrong. That's when, that's where Big Mama says, baby, I love you, but that's when Uncle Ray is going to say, nephew, yeah, I understand, but we, but uh, again, I just believe that we have, we have built our practices and behaviors on knowing the wrong thing. And it's important for us to know the right thing. Let me tell you, I don't care how much my sister and my brother and I squabble and we have our disagreements. When we go home, squash, because that's not allowed. That, that's not acceptable in, in the home space. But as a result of that not being allowed in the home space, it is okay to lay my burdens down at home. And so as a community, and I'll start with as brothers, we have to begin to create a safe space where brothers can be vulnerable enough to say, I made a mistake. Or I didn't know enough. And I'll share this with you. In the book, I talk about uh, an experience that I had and I didn't know what to do. And it felt like my whole world was about to crash. And another brother understood that, like, dude, you are a principal at a school. So you don't have the luxury of falling out. You've got to get it together. So he helped me get my mind right. I've got children to take care of. And I can't afford to lose my job. All right. But at the same time, he realized that I was going through some things. And in the book I call, he stood outside the locker room so that I could cry out loud, so that I could beat the walls, get myself together and come back out into the world. We've got to create a safe space. For us, with our brothers and our sisters, where it's okay to cry, to be angry, to be upset. And I'm not going to think any less of you. 
In fact, I'm going to stand at the locker door so no one else can see you, hear you, or intimidate you for being who you are. I believe that throughout time, and history has documented that everyone else has beat us up so bad. The last place we need to be beat up again is at home. And so I believe today is, you know, while we're beginning Black History Month, we've got to go back to that place where it was okay to be vulnerable. You know, be wise, as this show is is entitled, be wise about it. But understand that that place does exist, even if I have to start it myself or you have to start it yourself. Can every brother, can any brother come to me and feel safe? Can any sister come to you and and feel safe? And likewise. Wow. That was really powerful. You know, uh, Dr. Seymour, we're our time is about to wind up. and I know we've probably got some questions that they want to ask you, sure. but one of the things that stood out in my mind in our questions was from chapter six. Okay. It says, how do men yes. plan for success? Sure. Because I know that that operation too is a little different from how the sisters plan. Sure, sure, sure. sure. I, I'll, I'll try to be brief about this one. So, so if you think about it right now, as a result of the the, the COVID-9 pandemic, the economic pandemic, the social injustice pandemic, all intersecting at one time, everybody's got to rethink their program. Every organization has to take another look because nothing that was prior to March of 20 is the same. Every, so, so I like to look at it as this is the time where everybody gets to start over. Everybody, in fact, everyone has to start over. Um, and so when it comes to brothers, how do we plan our success? We have to find out first what motivates us right now. Not what used to motivate motivate us, but what motivates us right now. Um, and then we have to identify uh, whatever that motivating thing is, what do I need to do? What actions do I need to take? Who do I need to engage with? Who do I need to be exposed to? What education, not necessarily at the university, but what knowing do I need to have in order to fulfill those motivations? Because those things that motivate us lead us to what we're supposed to do in life. Um, um, uh, my grandfather used to say, there's a time where you don't have, no, you no longer have to do, you no longer have to do what you have to do, but you want to grow to a point where you do what you were designed to do. And so that those things that we were designed to do, whether we can do them or not, they're in our hearts, but we've got to understand and the, the identify what are those things that motivates, motivate us. You know, sometimes hard times motivate us. Uh, sometimes need more motivates us. Sometimes just because motivates us. So we've got to find out what that motivation is. But then what are the, what are the things that we must do to move from here to there? Too many of us want to get there but not do anything. It, it won't work especially now, and this is a safe time to do it because again, everybody is having to press the reset button. Every organization is having to do it over uh, because what, what, what was is no longer. What used to be, what used to work doesn't work anymore. So even in our own lives, um, those things that we used to be able to do or used to have to do, they may not necessarily uh, apply. Uh, but then the most important thing that I believe in this planning our own success especially for men, is that we've got to activate that resilience that's within us. Listen, <clears throat> we, are, we come from several generations 
of men who had to overcome some stuff. Whatever that stuff was, some trials, some tribulations, every generation had their own. But with every generation built a stronger next generation. And so for each one of us, there is a resilience, a stick to it, a get up, a try it again that's within us. In order for us to achieve our, who we are, what we're designed to be as a result of what's going on in the world, in order for us to respond to it a certain way, we've got to tap into what we were built for. If you think about it, a man's shoulders typically are built stronger than a woman's shoulder. They're wider than a woman's shoulder, saying that we should be able to handle just a little more than, than a woman. And if not, strengthen your shoulders. But whatever you're set out to do, uh, designed to be and do, you got to tap into that resilience to stick into it. Life is going to toss some hard balls. It's going to knock us down. But the challenge is, do we sit there and soak because the ball hit us beside the head? Do we complain because it knocked us down? Absolutely not. We get some ice, put on that bruise, and keep it going, keep it moving. We get up, dust our, our knees off, and we keep moving. We square our shoulders and ask the world, what else do you have to offer? Because I'm moving on. Wow. Um, we have a couple of questions for you that are in our chat. Um, the, the, the last question says, is there an age... Is this an age-appropriate book and beneficial for a 15-year-old young man? And then funny you should ask, um, because when I wrote the book, it was designed for a young men um, 18 to 24. It was also designed to be a conversation piece, as Dr. Burns, you mentioned. It was, it was written in a conversational language intentionally, because um, I, in case a mother picked this book up, I wanted her to be able to read it and interpret it for her son. If an older gentleman picked the book up. I wanted him to be reminded of the lessons that he can teach another generation. Um, but as to answer the question, the book is, as it is, is not written for 14-year-olds. However, I've had 14-year-olds, and I posted on Facebook a 14-year-old that did a review of the book, and I was blown away by his review of, of the book. But I am going to be writing a another version of the book for a younger generation, a younger a younger audience. Um, we have Patricia McAllister to a comment that you made earlier to your explaining. So, so what you're saying is don't ask for a loan if you really mean, can you give me da 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 whatever? Is that what you mean by say what you mean and mean what you say? So let me be very careful with that. Don't ask for a loan if you don't mean give me a loan. That, that's what my intentions were with my godfather. But as a man who's experienced some things, don't ask for a loan if I can't pay it back. Mm. Oh, oh, that's that's heavy. Okay. Um, I think those. I don't think I see another question um, in there. Are there? Oh, um, if you don't mind, there's one by Char. Uh, is this Charlize Bradford? Uh, what do you say about men who were raised by single mothers? Mm. You know, kudos to single mothers. I am the product uh, of, of a single mother, per se. Um, and while I do believe that there are some things that uh, mama taught me, mm. how to be a, a, a good human being, how to be respectful, I still believe that lions teach lions how to be lions. 
in the book, I you know I go back to my early teaching years where where when Lion King first came out, um, when when the 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 cub looks down in the water, mm-hmm. he doesn't see his mother's reflection. Mm-hmm. He sees his father's reflection. He doesn't learn. He doesn't practice growling like his mother. He practices growling like his father. And <clears throat> and for young men um, without fathers. It is very, we have to be very careful about um, capitalizing on that negative message about our fathers. Mm. Because the one thing that we spend our lives disliking about our fathers is exactly who and what we become. Because we've spent a lifetime practicing it and talking about it and teaching it to our, ourselves. Um, and, I, and I'll say this as, as gently as I can. <clears throat> But but if but a moment, that was something good about your father. Read between the lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Dr. Seema, hold your book up again. Let people know where they can find it. Thank you for being. Tell us. Go ahead. Show it. Yes. Sure. You can you can uh, purchase the book at drseymour.com. D-R-S-E-Y-M-O-R-E dot com and sign autograph copy at that. Otherwise, you can get it oh, at Amazon.com. Wait, wait. Um, Dr. <clears throat> Dr. Seymour, there is a question here. It says, if there's not a lion in the house, though. <clears throat> yes. Yes. So if you <laughs> so if there's not a lion in the house, the lion mess. Lioness, wherever you are, it's your responsibility to connect that cub with a lion. Okay. That's a responsibility. Thank you for making sure that I was in the presence of my grandfather, my pastor, uh, the deacons uh, at at our church, the men in our community who were upright and upstanding men. Lioness, put that cub in the presence of a lion. There you go. There you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us, uh, Dr. Byrne. If I might, if I might take just a penny of a of a privilege, uh, we talk about the Black Church and PB uh, Public Broadcasting Association is sharing a, a series about the Black Church. We didn't talk about that earlier and Black men in the Black Church, but I really appreciate that you can get a cub. <laughs> to a black man in a black church. Yeah. And check that out this weekend. I think it's uh Saturday at about six mm-hmm. Eastern time. Okay. Yeah, you that's- wow. You all hit those heart buttons. Those like, if you've been blessed, put it in the comment section. He can see it um, that you all appreciated his very frank and honest dialogue. And don't forget uh, support uh, Dr. Seymour, purchase that book so that others might read it. Dr. Bradford, do we have a guest on next week you'd like to share it with us before we close out on today? Yes. Remember to like, tag, and share Timely Wisdom. Um, next week, we have none other than Dr. Jamal Bryant. Join us next week, same time, same place. Timely Wisdom. Mm-hmm.